Before we get get going, I want to show you something cool. Can I show you something cool? I think it's cool. Can I show you something new? So we've got these bracelets when we, oh, by the way, we're going back to church August 23rd. And I know, I know this has like been the boy who cries wolf with this thing, but really, really, we're going back August 23rd for now. We're going back. I promise you we're going back August 23rd, but it could change this week. We're going back August 23rd. And when we go back August 23rd, God, please. And when we go back, uh, we're going to have these bracelets on the welcome table. And so, so they're, they're different colors. So maybe you can figure this out. This is not an indicator of our love for you. This is more of an indicator of how we should act around you. They got like a crazy bracelet. They don't. So red means don't come near me that I want to be at church, that I, I, I want to be physically present with you, but don't come near me. No, I don't want an elbow touch. In fact, I'm so uh, careful that maybe, maybe if you're going to talk to me, it's from like 30 feet. Keep your distance, okay? That's what red means. Yellow. Y'all like this? Should I keep this going every week? Yellow. By the way, they say, what a, a genius creative idea. Who would have ever thought to put the church's name on the bracelet? In the history of bracelet church making, who would put the church name? It says one seat church, and then on the back, so you know what to do with it, you go to onecchurch.org, and then if you want to be incognito, like the Chrome option, so people don't know where you're going on Chrome. That's weird. <laughs> on the inside, it's in transparent lettering. One seat church. It's cryptic. So all you kids, you want to be cool, you want people like seeing the white, the white filled side, you can flip it. And we have adult and kid sizes. And then after the corona thing's over, we'll still have a bunch, a bunch of these. So you can just take them because they're cool and you can invite people to church by throwing a bracelet at them. But anyway, yellow means, I'm, I'm a yellow at heart. Yellow means, hey, I like you. Maybe I'll do an elbow touch. Let's keep our six feet. Let's, let's talk, but we're not going to hug it out. We're not going to like, you know, be affectionate in a spiritual family kind of way. Okay, so that's red, that's yellow. Finally, and I don't know why we have this, but we do. We have green. So for all you free spirits out there, okay. green means anything goes. No rules, not afraid of corona. I'm not afraid of you. Anything goes. But really, I told Cameron, my fear is that really should anybody be wearing green in a pandemic right now i don't know but it's a free country so if you want to wear green that's fine can you imagine what's going to happen if we get two greens together at church might not be good we might have to shut down again but anyway if you're going to pick a color to be safe i would at least go with yellow anyway we have green though they're really cool kid sizes too even though we're not having kids church for the first first month that doesn't mean don't bring your kids to church, okay? You bring them to service. I know it's a foreign concept, but do, it might do them good to hear the word of God, you know? Anyway, what do you think? Should I just like keep this going for the rest of the year? The bracelet, the color bracelet thing? Anyway, I got stripes here. I'm just a hot mess of color today. So we return the 23rd. It's a fact until it changes. 
And I also want to give a shout out to Cameron who got a new car this week. And it's, it's off the hook. Come on, give it up for Cameron. He got a, he got a, a Tucson or something. And it's, it's nice. It's nice. So shout out to Cameron. We were kind of sad this morning because we, we buried the old blue vehicle that used to carry the one-seat flags at the school. And if we decide to use the flags again and have to move them, they won't fit in the new car. Okay, let's get back to church, people. Golly, get serious. Let's go to Matthew. This is week four, the final week of Meant to Move, the series about what the church is to be collectively as the body, okay? Matthew chapter five, verse 43 through 48. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, says the Lord, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully, spitefully use you and persecute you. Anybody know anybody spiteful? That you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He loves them too. And sends rain in the drought on the just and the unjust. You know God has grace and mercy even on the people that don't deserve it. He has grace and mercy on the people who do bad things. And also that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Such as life, but God has his ways. It says, 46, for if you love those who love you, that's easy to do. He says, no, he says, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors who are referred to as heathens or sinners do the same. And 47 says, if you greet your brethren only, the people you love, what do you do that's more than anybody else? Anybody can do that. It's easy to love when they love you back. But do not even the tax collectors do that so also. He says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven as in perfect. Your Father in heaven is perfect also. So he's saying... um, If you only love those who love you, well, then what different are you from the rest of the world? Because that's easy to do. So in my Nelly voice, why is it so hard to love everybody? Everybody. Why is it so hard to love everybody? Like everybody. Like everybody politically I disagree with. Everybody morally I disagree with. Everybody that I just don't like. Everybody that I think is a heathen. Why is it so hard to love those people too? But Jesus says he wants me to show love to somebody who even perhaps doesn't love me back. In fact, the Bible makes it clear it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. It's not about I. How many times do you hear I? In the, no, it's about him, what he did. I wasn't called to love the enemy because it would make me feel valued or better about myself. I was called to love all God's people as his church, good, bad, ugly, right, or wrong, because Jesus loved me first. In church, if I can shake, or if you can shake, or if we can shake together the conditions in which we allow love to flow through us to others, we can begin to live an unconditional 
life that has an outlook that will shape how the love of God can flow through us. It'll shape how the love of God is shared with others. The perfection of God, he says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. It's not of ourselves. He's not saying you as flesh will be perfect. He's saying, because I will be in you. The perfection of God is made manifest through us as his church when we show the opposition a different approach and a different look. Remember, this is, this is good. My heart is only as big as the love I let flow through it. You know, it's kind of like a fish tank. If you want the fish to grow, you got to get a bigger tank. But the heart is only as big as the love you're allowed to, you allow to flow through it. So if you want to be loved, give love. And if you want a big heart for God's people, you got to let love flow through it. We've been on this theme a bit, but we're closing this series with my title today that is Loving the Opposition. Loving the Opposition. I can only love fully when I love without condition. Therefore, I have to and I must love the opposition because I can only love fully. Everybody say fully, not 75%. You were meant to love fully when I love without condition. You were meant to love without condition, not conditional love that only is flowing when people treat you a certain way. Not conditional love that is only flowing when they agree with you and patronize you and tell you, good job. In fact, real love often will debate and make you better. Springboard truth through discussion. It's not because they don't care. It's because they do care. If people just tell you what you want to hear, it's because they don't really care. It's more about they care about what they can get from you. If they really care about you and want your respect and you want their respect and so and so, they're going to tell you what you need to hear, the transparent love. But as the church and individually, it's hard to love the opposition when we live in a place of pain. And until you learn how to deal with pain, you can never find peace. And until you never find peace, you can never love fully because you will withhold your love from flowing until you find peace and understand God's intent for you to have peace in your heart inside of pain because it's hard to do. Pain can block our minds and put restrictions on how we love especially if we've been hurt. If we've been hurt enough times in a certain scenario, we start associating that scenario with pain. I was talking to, I'm in the IT world, and I was talking to a recruiter, and we were talking about working at home, and I said, well, I've been working at home since 2011. And he's like, yeah, I'm not used to this thing where, like, every time I see my family room or my, my front room, I think of work. And I said, yeah, I went through that nine years ago. I said, it's because you start attaching a resentment feeling of um, work and stress to a room that was meant to be with your kids. There was a period I was working next to the family room when the kids were born, and so they'd like have their toys and, and, and you know, the little music items that would just make you crazy, and that's when I invested in my first pair of airport headphones. People think I'm joking about that. No, I really wear them. Don't I, Chloe? 
I still wear them in my office now with the door shut. I still wear them because Taz can get a little crazy even with the cement walls and the door being shut. But so we can associate a situation to a place, to a person, to a thing, to a song, and it can bring back this feeling of pain that will not allow us to then find peace. We won't bless what we can't forgive or forget. That's why forgiveness matters. And this sermon is not just about people and what they've done to you. This is about anything that you're holding on to that creates pain that is keeping you from finding peace because that's gonna prevent loving opposition in general. And that's what God called us to do was to love without condition. Love the opposition. It says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. It's not easy. And I can't bless and I won't bless what I'm not willing to forgive because I will justify why they don't deserve it. Come on, somebody. Is it just me? Am I the only one that can be honest about it? I remember my dad used to say, when you get you know, in an argument with your spouse or when you have an issue in life with somebody else, when somebody raised the, you know, he, he would quote Bible and talk about a soft tongue breaks bones and, and the power of death and life is in the tongue and blessed are the peacemakers and all this stuff. He, he probably don't remember he even said to me, but I do because it's in me and it only got in me because someone put it in me because he loved me. So now it's coming out. But he always says you neutralize anger with good. And so he would, he would say when he would be like really mad about something and really, you know, like want to go, want to go, go completely fleshly, he would neutralize it with speaking good, speaking life, speaking godly words to override the flesh. You know, the Bible talks about not letting the wrath go down, not letting the sun go down on our wrath at night and being, you know, when you're mad at somebody, don't go to sleep on it and let it go and and, and acting on anger because everybody has the trigger to get angry. Everybody has a, a reactive human nature to get angry or have emotion, but it's how we handle acting it out. We have to learn in the moment to grab it before it takes hold of us and takes control of us. And so what we do is we speak good to it. We rebuke it with good. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Or some of you have heard me say about some people carry a Bible in the truck, in the door. And when they make me mad, I just look at that Bible and I go, oh, yeah. Because our emotions can get the best of us, especially when there's opposition, especially when there's something oppressing us, making us more fleshly in response. We have to remember where our peace is or we will fall for the devil's trap. Blessed are the peacemakers. I used to get so mad at my dad for saying that. Whatever, dad. Again, I'm tired of being the peacemaker, dad. Like, really? I said that, I said, you know, like, I always gotta be the peacemaker. But at the end of the day, it was in the Bible, and so I couldn't argue with it, even though it made me really mad. And I say, thanks, you're right, later when I cooled down. And then I would text that person, even though I know they weren't gonna text me first. Or I'd say sorry to that person, even though I know they weren't gonna say sorry first. Because it didn't really matter if they did. Because I'm doing the will of God by making peace by loving the opposition, by loving against the thing that hurts me, I'm making peace, which is actually getting rid of the problem in the long run. But I'll never find peace until I can learn how to deal with pain. God feels far when I feel hurt. He feels far 
when I feel hurt. And so I get stuck in what they did and I start forgetting what God can do. I get stuck in what they did, what they said, and I can't let it go. I get stuck in the resentment that they gave that contract to somebody else. I get stuck in the situation that I didn't get what I deserved, that it wasn't fair, that they judged me, that they treated me unfairly, that they, did, they, they discriminated against me. Whatever it is, it's not about what they did to you. It's about what you do for God because the blessing comes from heaven. It comes from God. So I have to live with a mindset that if the world continues to reject me or rejects me in any way that I feel is not fair, I am blessed by God, not by the world. And there's a difference. I got to find peace before I can love my enemies. And I need a peacemaker to intercede into my spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons and daughters of God. It's the scripture. Blessed are peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. And loving the opposition is letting go of the problem when it's not yours to bear. Sometimes the best answer, we've talked about this recently in the sermon, Don't Stop Caring, and that was more about people, but this is broader than that. Sometimes the best answer is to let it go and let God deal with it. Just let go of it. It's not, it's not yours to bear. Let go of it. Quit thinking about it. Quit talking about it. Let go of it. Bring it to God. Pray for them that hurt you. Pray for them that curse you, the Bible says. Pray for them that didn't see the value in you, that didn't see the potential in you, that they should have saw. Pray for them. Because as long as you keep doing the will of God, somebody will see, and you will be blessed in the right timeline according to God's timeline. It wasn't the right situation for you. Years ago, I had a job. Before I got into software consulting full-time, I worked for a company doing computer programming, and I invested two years in this company, and I never quite felt like part of the culture. But I said, I'm going to give it my best. and I'm gonna So I was really kind of going against my own gut instinct that this was not where I wanted to be. But I'm going to give it my best. And over time, I had conditioned myself to think that this was the best I could get. This was the best I would find. So I am doing the right thing. And then after two years of really changing how I thought, they let me go. January 2011, they let me go. And I remember, I used to think this was uh, cliche. I remember a guy I worked with there who was a Christian, by the way. And he said, God's got something better. That just means God's got something better. And I'm thinking... Sure it does, Mike. Thanks. I've heard this one. God is able. God just got something better. Got breakthroughs coming. How many times have I heard that in church? What does that mean? Well, it's funny because I went home and within an hour I had gotten hired through my business that has been paying our bills ever since. And that was my dream. And so in the moment, I said, they didn't treat me good. They didn't do it right. And Mike said, Thank you, Mike, by the way, if you're watching. I'll never forget it. He says, because God's got something better. And it was the biggest change in our life that God opened up a door to a whole new life because of it. And so I'm forever grateful that I had to experience that pain 
of being let go because until something was let go, God couldn't open the flow of blessing he was trying to give. I was stopping it because I was drinking the Kool-Aid and had changed my, my, my intuition on the matter and was trying to force something that wasn't his will. And finally, when it fell through the cracks, it was the best thing that happened for us in the, in the, in the, in the work, you know, in the workplace. And so that's just a story I'll never forget because I felt differently in my emotion in the moment. And it was the best thing. It was so good. This is so good. Michelle, I don't know if I've told you this, but the, but the CIO that I, that I hated at the time for doing that to me, about 10 years later, well, it's been, it's been nine years, about six, seven years later, I almost looked him up to thank him. To almost, I'm, I'm dead serious. I almost wrote him. Did I ever tell you this? That I was going to write him and say, thank you. My life has changed so much. This was the best thing that ever happened to me. And this is not about me. This is an illustration to show you that you can be holding on to what's stopping you from finding peace. And you can be holding on to what's stopping you from loving fully in an unconditional way that you don't even know how to love yet because you've never felt that. And when you find it, you will be free. Because loving is letting go. And kindness is not weakness. When you love the opposition kindly and you're kind even when they treat you bad, that doesn't mean you're weak. People mistake kindness for weakness. When I was a kid, I would get, I would get bullied and, and teased because I was always like nice. I let all the kids come over and play at my house because I just wanted friends. And then they do stuff like go ditch Jeff or whatever and go play somewhere else and I, they'd like run from me. It was, it was horrible things. And so now I see a little bit of that in my son Caleb and Caleb is so nice. He's so sensitive to people's hearts and, and, and so, but let me tell you, if you cross Caleb, he'll take you down in a heartbeat with a nice double leg. He can be vicious if he has to. That kindness is not weakness. The, the man is a wild man. I call him the wild golden boy because he gets nice tans and he's a little wrestling machine. And if you cross him, he'll love you, but he will put you on your back. I'm just saying. Yes, he's nine. And he can beat me up. Well, almost. I'm trying to bully him as much as I can now because soon... He's going to be stronger than me. I can already tell because I'm breaking. Everything breaks when you're 41. <laughs> but I can only love fully and be kind to the opposition when I love without condition. If you're with me right now, just give me a, an amen or something. You know, when you preach to a camera, you don't really know what's happening on the other end. And that's okay because I'm believing God to touch you through this word. But loving is letting go. Loving the opposition is letting go. And I can't control the situation. It's hurting my ability to love those actually close to me. This thing I used to do, and I still do it. Anytime I find myself in a situation of like, man, this is really hard. Like, this is really hard. Nobody's doing this. And then I go, ding. If it was easy, everyone would do it. If it was worth what it is to you, everyone would do it. You've heard the phrase, there's no free lunch. If you want to be really good at loving and exhibiting the love of Christ, I mean, everybody's growing. You have to work at it. If it was easy, we'd have world peace. If it was easy to do the will of God in spite of fleshly decisions, we'd have world peace. No hunger, no, no, no economic issues. But it's not easy. And if it was easy... Everyone would do it. Remember, the light of the world, the church, is a fraction of the world, the Bible says. Few will enter the gates, 
but the freeway to the opposing direction is wide open and fastly moving. I'm saying that really nicely. Can we say hell? Can, do we, can we say hell? Do churches still say hell? The freeway to hell is wide open and on a fast pace. And those going to heaven, it's the few. It's the minority. It's the slim. So the body of Christ has to show a different look why there's time on earth. Yeah, I was joking. We say hell sometimes. Or I say Hades if I want to go Greek. Anyway, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Nolani's looking at me like, I'm not building walls with my opposition. I'm opening doors and flowing into my calling. If you hate on me, I'm going to say thank you. I love you. God loves you. We're going to make this work together. Just because you got the red band on doesn't mean I don't love you any less. I'm not building walls. I'm opening doors and flowing. Everybody say flow. Wake up if you're falling asleep on that couch. Come on right now. We're flowing in the spirit of the Lord into our calling as the church because we were meant to move. And moving on the people of God in this world means loving your opposition. He ends the passage with, therefore, you shall be perfect. Just as your father in heaven is perfect. We will never be perfect as flesh. What he means is as we allow God to flow through us and live in us and dwell in our kingdom, in our heart, perfection will flow. Remember he told the apostles, before you go do the Great Commission, don't, don't worry about what you will take. Don't worry about what you're going to say because I will empower you. That was the day of Pentecost. They were wait to be endued with power. See, the power of perfection is flowing through you from God. It's not of yourself. It's not of yourself. We are perfect in him. The church is to be perfect in him. Don't leave that off. You want to get some people riled up to say the church is to be perfect but make sure you say, in him, or they will say, see, see, they're judgmental. No, sir, finish the, finish the sermon clip. Finish, go watch the rest of the sermon before you judge from a distance. We are to be perfect in him. He is to live perfectly in us, and together in harmony, perfection happens because God touched it. Jesus said there is perfection in us when we live this way. Freedom in letting God handle the just and the unjust. He brings rain to the good and the bad. He blesses those who hate you. He blesses those who love you. It's your job to lift up the name above all names. I wasn't made to decide. I was made to be like him. I wasn't made to judge a situation. I was made to mirror our heavenly father. God says, loving when it hurts is how you love fully. If I only loved when they loved me, he says, I'm no different than the heathens. I'm no different than the rest of the world. But we are called to give a, new, a unique look to the world of Jesus Christ as the church, as the body. That's how you accomplish God's will. But I just don't understand it. They were just so lousy to me. I get it. And yeah, they were. I agree with you. But it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what they think. 
matters what Jesus thinks. See, God is like our parent, and we're just little toddlers. God is working above your opposition's understanding. That's good. Remember that. When you're so fire mad again at what they did, when you're so fire mad about what was lost, and you're holding on to that, you're restricting the love of God to flow through. Remember that God is working above your opposition's understanding. That means he's doing things, and he's working above our understanding. He's doing things that we don't even know yet, that we may never know. He's doing things behind the curtain for us in our lives, through us, that we don't even know or may never know. Some things will have a revelation, go, wow, God did that. In hindsight, hindsight is 2020. It's easy to see then, but he's doing things above our understanding, above those who are opposing you's understanding. That's why it's okay to love them. It's okay to love them anyway because God's doing something in this world. If y'all could stand this morning, I'll leave you with this idea in this Meant to Move series. That some of you have kids, most of you have kids, and all of us were kids at some point. And I think it's safe to say that when we were little, there's certain things I just completely <laughs> did not understand. In fact, me and Michelle were joking around because one of the kids asked us a question that I can't share on the camera. But it's something at that age. And I said, well, I didn't understand that till years later. And you forget that you didn't understand at that time. But it doesn't mean things weren't happening and things weren't so. And so when your parents tell you something, that when you're little, you think they're wrong or they don't know what they're saying because you actually just don't understand yet. And we are always going to be adolescent toddlers in the presence of God. We are always going to be not enough, not fully aware in the presence of God because he is God and we are human. We are flesh. And so we can, we can relax in that, knowing that we're not called to be perfect, but we will be made perfect through him and by him when he is one with us through the infilling of his spirit. And so I think about my kids and some of the stuff, some of the kids and notably Colton has said to me over, the, over time and I just get so offended. Like, how, how could they say that? I mean, they're just little kids. And I go, they're just little kids. Kaylee don't know that setting... She set a booby trap for Nolani and Cameron this morning. She set a trap for them at the steps. And I said, that's going to hurt them. But she thought it was funny. She doesn't know that it was actually dangerous that she barricaded the steps and set a yarn trap to make them fall to their face. I tried to tell them, hey, that, that I tried to tell her, that is not safe. But she's five. <laughs> it's true. So when she's 10, she's going to go, I probably shouldn't have done that. But she didn't know any different. Because... What she was dealing with was above her understanding. And what we're dealing with in God's house is always going to be above our understanding. But by the guidance of his spirit, we can still go do things for his glory. And we can still love above what the world say is acceptable to love. You can't love them when they do this. But God says, yes, you can, because I am in you. And when I am in you, you can defeat what the world says is possible. When I am in you, you can defeat what the world says is possible in your community. The world says there's too many churches already, but God says, I've called this. And what I call and what I touch is blessed. 
And that's all we need to remember when we want to feel that pain again, that there is peace and a peacemaker. And I can love the opposition because God loved me. As we close this series, I would like you to keep standing with me and bow your heads and lift your arms to the heavens. And this will feel better in person, but it doesn't devalue it online because worship anywhere is valued by God. Worship anywhere is, is, is where God draws in. You want to feel close to God? Start your worship. You want to receive the spirit of God? Worship. You want to hear God? Worship. When you worship, you open the floodgates for love to flow through you. So God, we come right now in your mighty name we are reverent to who you are, to what you've done for us, who you, who, who you have always been to us, even before we knew you, God, for your ways that are above us that we will never grasp, for the ignorance we've seen through us by others, the opposition on and on, God, none of it matters because we know how loved and blessed we are by you. We know how valuable we are to you. We know that nothing can shake the grace and mercy you've shown to us no matter how bad it happens to me on this earth. Nothing can take away your love. Nothing can take away your peace. And nothing can take away your joy that was meant to flow through me. And so I won't, everybody say, I won't let the devil steal my joy because I have been called, everybody say it, I have been called to be the church for God's reign on this earth. And I am going to touch the world through the church as the body because we, everybody say it together, we are meant to move. God touches this week. Let us remember the peace in the storm. Let us remember to be grateful no matter what because someone else always has it worse, that it could be worse. To count our blessings when all we're doing is counting our painful points, God. We are counting blessings. We are smiling when it rains and we are smiling when it's sunny out. We are rejoicing when there's, when there's the rain comes and when there's a drought, God. We are rejoicing because of who you are and you are worthy for our love and admiration. And if the house of God could say, in Jesus' name, Amen.